that video came out about just two weeks ago, and I, I watched it, and I thought, man, I, I really want to share this with you, because every once in a while, I just want to re-emphasize to every single one of us why this church, First Baptist Church of St. John's, believes so strongly in expositional preaching. We are here to expose the Word of God. We are not here to express our opinions. My opinions are irrelevant. The Word of God is everything. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, there are many things that we need to be thankful for. But toward the very top of our list needs to be we are thankful for the Word of God. And we are thankful that we have the Word of God in our language, that we can understand it and that we can live by it and that we can obey it. Folks, if we didn't have the Word of God, we would not know God. There is in theology general revelation, nature, and there is specific revelation, and that is the Word of God. In theology, we say that general revelation is not salvific, which means you can't be saved just by looking at creation. You have to understand who this God is and what his requirements for salvation are. And so we are thankful for the Word of God. And with that thought in mind, I would like you to take his word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 through 25. That will be our text this morning. And let us be reminded that God is speaking to us. I am simply a messenger. We are looking at his Words And I want to get right into the tech, or excuse me, the outline this morning. And our first point is the perfect example. Two weeks ago, we looked at a difficult passage of Scripture. Difficult because God asks us to be submissive and show respect to earthly masters, even when they are unfair and unjust. And I don't say that lightly because this is not an easy passage. When we go from verse 18 to verse, verse 25, this is a tough part of Scripture. God asks us as his people to be submissive and show respect to our employer, to our supervisors, to our managers, even when they are unfair and unjust. Two weeks ago, we looked at verse 18 through the very first phrase of verse 21. Servants, employees, be subject to your masters with all respect. Here's the hard part. Not only to the good and gentle, but also, but also, to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Now watch this, not easy. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, for to this, you have been called. Suffering 
for doing what is right demonstrates to the world what the grace of God is all about. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. The grace of God is God's unmerited favor and kindness to us. Knowing that wherever we go and in whatever we do, he demonstrates his grace to us. No matter what I go through, no matter what I endure, I know God will always be kind to me. He will always be merciful to me. He will always shower me with his blessings. So, when we suffer for what we believe and do not complain, this is the grace of God. When we are passed over and refuse to get bitter, we demonstrate the grace of God. When we endure harsh treatment and still praise the Lord, this is the grace of God. When we are falsely accused and do not retaliate, this is the grace of God. When we are ripped off and can still smile, oh, this is the grace of God. When we lose the game but not our temper, when we face countless trials but still count it all joy, when we love the Lord through our tears, this is the grace of God. And Peter tells us that we are to do good when we suffer because we are mindful of God. We are mindful of the fact that God is always with us. He sees everything, nothing is hidden from his sight. God promises to rule over all the details of my life, even when those details seem random and out of control. God sometimes, God sometimes allows things to happen to me that seem unjust and even harsh. And he says, for to this you have been called, my brother, my sister. To this you have been called. He is speaking of our salvation. You have been called by the Holy Spirit unto salvation. And when you come to Christ, you move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You move from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. But something else happens when you are called to salvation. You become a special target for Satan. You become a target for unjust and unfair suffering. But there's other things that happen too. You are made a citizen of heaven. You are called to be an ambassador for Christ. And Peter's whole point in this is when you suffer at the hands of other people who treat you unjustly and unfairly and you don't retaliate and you endure patiently, it is one of the most powerful witnesses and testimonies that you have as a Christian. It shows that you are different. You are different from this world. Now, I fully understand some of you may be saying, uh-uh, this is impossible. I can't do it. Someone rips me off and you want me to smile? Someone treats me unfairly? And you want me to just let it go? 
Uh uh-uh, can't do it. So Peter addresses us. He addresses that question this morning. Peter tells us that we can do this because we as Christians are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If you remember nothing else from this message this morning, I want you to remember this. Jesus is the perfect example of righteous and godly suffering. He's the standard, folks. I'm not the standard. No pastor is the standard. The standard is Jesus himself. And in verses 21 through 23, we read this. What an example. What an example. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Not easy. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The phrase there, leaving you an example, is an interesting one. It comes from an ancient educational tool. In the first century, when they were teaching children the alphabet, and maybe because it's a tool that's been used for hundreds of years, not so much right now as it used to be, maybe some of our older people participated in this when they were young. But what they used to do is they used to take sheets of paper to teach someone the alphabet. And let's use our English alphabet as an example. They would place that paper on top of raised letters of the alphabet. And children would trace those letters on their paper from those raised letters underneath. So they would trace out A, and they would trace out B, and they would trace out C, and that's how they learned to write the alphabet. Peter says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, and the thought here is, you are to take your life and you are to place it on top of Jesus and trace over it, so that his life becomes your life. What Jesus does, you do. How Jesus responds, you respond. How Jesus reacted is how you reacted. That's the thought here, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, we grow, we learn, we change by the word of God. But there are two primary ways that we grow in the word of God. The first is through people and the second is through pain. You can remember them as the two Ps. We learn through people and we learn through pain. We learn through people. There are people who preach. There are people who teach. There are people who lead small group Bible studies. There are disciplers, there are mentors. There are one-on-one accountability 
partners. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, so one woman sharpens another. We learn from people all the time. But there is a second way that we learn and grow, and that is through pain. Pain and suffering are powerful teachers. They are difficult teachers, but they are some of the most powerful teachers in the entire universe. But sometimes the most difficult suffering we endure is when people and pain go together and we suffer at the hands of other people. People treat us unjustly and people treat us unfairly. And sometimes that pain is deliberate, it is premeditated, and it personally directed against us. There are many different kinds of this pain and suffering. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said there are three primary types of pain and suffering. There may be more, but there are three primary types of pain and suffering. Sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason. Someone is raped. Someone is murdered. Someone contracts a terminal illness. Someone is injured or is killed in a natural disaster. We, we don't understand. We don't know why it happens. A second kind of pain and suffering is that which we bring upon ourselves. We make poor decisions. We choose poorly, sinfully, and we hurt ourselves and we hurt those who we love the most and we end up suffering the consequences of our own choices. But there is a third kind of suffering and that is the kind that Peter is referring to in this passage. That is when we suffer unjustly and unfairly at the hands of other people. Think of all the different kinds of things there could be. It may be a boss who hates us. It may be a coworker who envies us. A spouse who is so critical that we can never please him or her. There's betrayal, lies, accusation, slander, gossip, vengeance, fraud, deceit, unfair treatment, unfair punishment, humiliation, ridicule, sarcasm, rumors, the silent treatment, mockery, being called vile names, and being made the butt of cruel jokes. And the pain is made much worse when it comes from people who used to be our friends, from people who used to be close to us. And I just want you to understand, Peter is referring to all of those kinds of things in this passage. Pain and suffering are not easy, but they are powerful teachers when we react the way Jesus did. The poet and playwright from the 1800s, the famous poet and playwright Robert Browning once wrote this. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. 
But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Our second point this morning is following Jesus. Following Jesus. According to Peter, following Jesus means that sometimes we will suffer even when we have done nothing wrong. You talk about a hard truth. The Bible says that following Jesus means that sometimes we will suffer even when we have done nothing wrong. The greatest honor for any Christian is to be like Jesus. And when we suffer unjustly, we share in a tiny portion of what happened to him. Though he did no wrong, he was betrayed. Though he did no wrong, he was falsely accused and tried. Though he did no wrong, he was mocked and he was beaten and he was crucified. Though he never sinned, though he never sinned, he was hated. He was literally hated by the Jewish religious leaders of the day who plotted to kill him. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus means that some people will disappoint us and some will turn against us. Oh, it's great to sing about and talk about and read about following in the footsteps of Jesus. But that means that some people will disappoint us and some will even turn against us. If we truly want to follow Jesus, it means that we will suffer patiently and not seek retaliation against those who have hurt us. I say that with fear and trembling because this is not easy. It is not easy for me. It is not easy for you. To follow Jesus means that we will suffer patiently and not seek retaliation against those who have hurt us. I submit to you this is not a natural way to live. It is not natural for us. It takes the supernatural power of God working through us. Verses 21 through 25 are based heavily upon the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53, that famous passage of the suffering servant of the coming suffering of the Messiah. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says this of the coming Messiah, which Jesus, excuse me, fulfilled. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is your example. These are the footsteps that we are to walk in. This is something you just have to stop and think about. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When they scourged him, he did not retaliate. 
when the soldiers crushed the crown of thorns into his head until blood ran down his face, he did not curse at them. When they drove the nails into his hands and feet, he did not threaten them. When the bystanders spit on him, he did not spit back. When they swore at him, he did not swear back. And Peter's point is this, this will happen to you too. Maybe not in exactly the same way, but this will happen to you, and this is the real test of your faith. And this is the real test of our faith. I said two weeks ago, and there's nothing wrong with this, in fact, we should do it. Sometimes it's easy to kind of wave our fists and say, I'm going to stand against this issue or that issue, and we stand on certain social issues or certain political issues, and we should do that. Don't misunderstand. But you're going to find out what you really believe. You're going to find out what you really believe when others mistreat you in a personal and real way. Not just the government out there. Not just the culture out there. But someone in your life, at your work, in your family, mistreats you unjustly and unfairly. Then you will find out what you really believe. Sometimes the real test of your faith is what you don't do. Sometimes you will be a better Christian by not saying anything at all. I want us to think carefully about the last phrase of verse 23. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Many of our problems stem from Demanding our rights. As many of you know, this particular generation we are in now has been called the entitlement generation. We demand our rights. We demand justice. Just turn on the TV. Just go on the internet. We demand justice. We demand our rights. And that kind of thinking has infiltrated the church all over America and has permeated it in more ways than we realize. But folks, the Bible takes that kind of thinking and turns it totally upside down. We are not to demand our rights. We are to think of our witness for Christ. We are not to demand our rights we are to think of our testimony before a watching world. We are not to demand our rights. We are to do whatever we can to enhance and make beautiful the gospel itself. That's what we have been called to do. Now maybe in your mind, You're thinking, yeah, but what about this situation? Or, yeah, what about that situation? Or, what if they do this to me? Or, what if they do that to me? Just read the text. That's all I say to you. Just read the text. Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you think Jesus was a helpless victim that day at Calvary? Do you think he suffered the way he did because he just threw up his hands and said, well, I guess there's nothing I can do about it. So might as well just endure it. Might as well just suffer. No, it isn't that at all. You will not embrace the power of this passage of Scripture until you are convinced in your mind that this is the Son of God. That this is God himself. He had the power to call down a legion of angels and set him free. He could just say the word and all of heaven would come to his aid, but he didn't. He didn't. Instead, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Entrusting means to commit or to hand over. He kept handing himself over to the Father again and again and again, and that's what this phrase means, again and again and again, throughout that entire suffering process, the mockings, the beatings, the whippings, the torture, the crucifixion. He just kept handing himself, committing himself to the Father again and again, undergirding Jesus' peaceful, resolute acceptance of suffering was an unshakable confidence in the righteous plan of him who judges justly. Jesus believed with all of his being that the Father would do whatever it took to bring glory to himself and whatever was best for his Son. Whatever would bring glory to his name and whatever was best for his Son. And folks, as a Christian, you can rely on the same thing. Whatever you go through, know this. Whether you understand it or not, whether it makes sense or not, whether it seems fair or not, know this, your heavenly Father will seek to glorify himself and will seek to do what is best for you. You can count on it, you can mark it down. Well, our third point is remember who Jesus is. That's what Peter, in these last two verses, wants us to grab hold of. Remember who we're talking about. The one who has set an example for you is your Lord and your Master. He is the one who died as a sacrifice for your sins. We're not talking about some ordinary Joe who happened to suffer well. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about your Savior. We're talking about your Lord. We're talking about your Master. And in verses 24 and 25, Peter says, He himself, Excuse me, he himself, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's who we're talking about. That's who set the example. That's whose footsteps you are to walk in. In these two verses, verses 24 and 25, there is an enormous amount of gospel truth in these two verses. 
his suffering was personal. He himself, he himself, he died voluntarily. He died in complete obedience to the will and command of the Father. His suffering was substitutionary. He bore our sins. He was not dying for his sins. He was dying for our sins. He was dying in our place as our substitute. His suffering was severe. He suffered in his body on the tree. He suffered Roman crucifixion. But more than that, he suffered the entire wrath of God poured out on all sin. His suffering was redemptive. He suffered that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That little word die, die to sin, is interesting. It is a Greek word that is only used here in 1 Peter chapter 2. It is not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament. And it means that we might die to sin. It means that we might be removed from the penalty of sin as far away as we possibly can. I deserved, you deserved, eternal damnation for your sins. We deserve to spend eternally, eternity in hell. But through Christ, we have died to that penalty, and we have been removed from that penalty as far away as you could possibly be removed. It will not touch you ever again. We not only die to sin, we live to righteousness. We are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ himself, and we are called to live a righteous and holy life. His suffering was healing. By his wounds you have been healed. By his sacrifice our souls, our spirits have been healed. We have been forgiven. We have been made right, declared righteous in the sight of God. And one day, yes, yes, one day our bodies will be healed. One day we will live in a place where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrows and no more tears. And our whole being awaits that day, for by his wounds we have been healed. And of course, his suffering was reconciling. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were rebels. You had strayed away from God, living your own life, doing whatever you wanted to do. But now you have returned. What a beautiful thought. It speaks of repentance and faith. But now you have returned. Again, Isaiah chapter 53. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But he has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We had gone astray, but he laid upon him the sins, the transgressions of us all. And now, and now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We have come to God. We have come to Jesus. 
that phrase, the shepherd and overseer of your souls, is filled with content. It speaks of comfort. It speaks of security. It speaks of guidance. It speaks of healing. It is so rich that that is going to be our entire meditation for communion tonight. Tonight I'm going to share with you ten things that is meant by that one phrase, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Think of what is contained in these two verses. He takes our punishment. He pays the price for our sins. He gives us new life. He heals our souls. He brings us back to God. All that we want and all that we ever need is found in the cross of Christ. All that we could ever want, all that we ever need is found in the cross of Christ. Nothing is more important in your life. Nothing than knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Knowing the one who died for your sins and rose again. Nothing is more important than knowing him as the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were born again, where you came to know Christ as Savior, where you invited him to come into your life, where you surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior, where you were so conscious of your sin that you repented of that sin and laid it all at the foot of the cross and said, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. I give my life to you. If you've never done that, we are here. We exist as a church to help you with that decision. You can talk to me after the service. You can talk to Pastor Ron who did the announcements. Maybe you're with someone that you know who is here this morning. But nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than making sure that you have been born anew by the Spirit of God. I want to end this morning by coming back to the very heartbeat of this particular passage. He suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When John Piper preached on this very passage, he commented that this is not a rule to be kept, but a miracle to be experienced and a grace to be received. And I totally agree. You can't just say, well, I determine I'll do the right thing when I suffer. Do you know where this kind of courage comes from? Do you know where this kind of life comes from? It comes from abiding in Jesus every day. It comes from fellowshipping with him in his word and prayer every single day so that almost unconsciously his life is becoming your life so that when you suffer, you suffer as he did. What would happen? What would happen if we followed Jesus' example when we were treated unjustly or unfairly? Would our silence convict them? 
Would our kindness and gentleness disarm them? When we refuse to retaliate, when we refuse to seek revenge, would they be amazed and wonder, who are you? Why do you act like that? You see, when you resist the urge, when you resist the urge to get even, when you stop claiming your rights, when you give up trying to always be understood, when you give up your anger and bitterness, do you know what happens? You become like Jesus. You become just like Jesus. And that's when your life begins to change the world. When you become like Jesus in the midst of your pain and suffering, when you are treated unjustly and unfairly, that's when your life changes the world. I want you to think with me to whom Peter is writing. We've gone over this quite a few times, but I want to say it again. He is writing specifically to a group of Christians who are enduring intense persecution. They are being persecuted at the hands of an oppressive Roman government, and they are being treated harshly by a very difficult Roman slave system which most of these believers were a part of. And Peter doesn't. He doesn't say to them, if you follow Jesus, all your troubles will go away. He doesn't say, if you just follow Jesus, you'll be healthy. If you just follow Jesus, you'll be wealthy. No. He says, if you follow Jesus, you will suffer. And when you suffer, I want you to suffer just like him. We're going to close this morning with the hymn, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. Oh God, give us the mind of Christ. No matter what we face, help us to do just what Jesus would do. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that we are weak in our flesh. And when we are mistreated, when we are treated unjustly and unfairly, Lord, everything within us wants revenge to get back to treat them the way they've treated us. Oh, Father, by your grace, by your power, by your might, by your strength, help us to be different. Help us, O oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit to follow the example of Jesus, to walk in his footsteps, even in the most difficult circumstances of life. And we cry out and we pray in his name. Amen.